0: Welcome to another nostalgia, where we spin back through grooves of time and dig up a classic rock fossil. This episode, "Slippery When Wet," an album by Bon Jovi, released on the 18th of August 1986 on Mercury Records and Vertigo Records internationally. Most-talgia. Jan Jan, good looking lad, big smile, shouting motivational anthems, rich as fuck. Loves the family, and a big hip pop album. That's it, bye! Rolls twangly outro. I have to talk about facts. This album sold 28 million copies, and was a follow-up to 7800 degrees Fahrenheit, which was released in 1985, and their debut album, Bon Jovi, was released in 1984. And it's a fact. It was produced by Bruce Fair Barn. He's no longer with us. He passed away in 1999. But before he left us, he also produced Bon Jovi's New Jersey and ACDC's Razor's Edge. Then talking about facts.
1: So this is Mostalgia, albums that we love and albums that were very important to us when we were growing up. And Slippery When Wet came out in 1986 and we were 13, 13 years of age. A little bit of reminiscence, a little bit of nostalgia from the perspective of us growing up in Ireland, across the Atlantic, from where Bon Jovi were born in New Jersey, we're going to have a look at how they came to be known in the British Isles at that time. So on radio, rock radio, which was quite primitive at that time. There were only maybe one or two shows on radio that you could listen to. One of those was the Friday Rock Show on BBC Radio, presented by Tommy Vance, that started in 1978. And Kerrang! magazine, I think the top selling rock magazine in the British Isles, especially during the 1980s. So we're going to have a look and see how Bon Jovi were presented to us and all of those fans from across the Atlantic here in the British Isles back in the 1980s.
0: Yeah, and we were quite lucky because we weren't supposed to be getting BBC Radio 1 or the Friday Rock Show. Because we were living so close to the Welsh coast, so we were living on the east coast of Ireland in Wicklow, the radio signal on a good day reached us. So if you positioned the antennae the right way, you could get a, a crystal clear FM signal of BBC Radio 1. And on a Friday night at 10pm, Tommy Vance would present the Friday Rock Show. The only way we could hear rock music, because on Irish radio that they wouldn't normally play rock bands. No, didn't even have a special show.
1: No, I think the epitome of Irish radio at that time was the golden hour (laughs) presented by Larry Gogan. And I think Larry Gogan was about 92 at that time. And he went on to present (laughs) it for another 10 years, I believe.
0: The golden hour.
1: Yeah. Larry was playing things like the kinks, maybe the small faces. Maybe Diana Ross or the Bee Gees. And Tommy Vance was playing Possessed, Sepultura, uh, Anvil, (laughs) Venom and all sorts of rock. And opening our ears certainly to the new wave of British heavy metal. And then the glam rock that was spawned by Motley Crue in the early 1980s, which probably Bon Jovi matured a little bit, refined and made it a little bit more palatable for a wider audience. And we are now looking back at a classic album, Slippery When Wet. Let's get into it. Let's do it. I have to talk about facts every single week. It's a fact. It is a fact. And that's what we're talking about today. Facts.
0: Bon Jovi are from Sayreville, New Jersey. He's about 30 miles away from New York City. Facts. Then underage, John started off gigging in the clubs of the Asbury Park scene and played in the band John Bon Jovi and the Wild Ones, opening for local bands. Fact. He jammed with local New Jersey acts like Bruce Springsteen and members of Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes. Fact. Slippery and Wet became Bon Jovi's first record to top the charts. It spent 8 weeks at number 1 and 38 weeks in the top 5 on the Billboard 200. It also got to number 6 in the UK. Fact. The album has gone platinum 12 times over, meaning it sold more than 28 million copies worldwide. In fact, it's one of the best-selling albums of all time in America. On the list, it's 33rd sandwiched between Mariah Carey and Elton John. Ooh.
1: Ooh. You wouldn't want to be sandwiched between them too long, I think. Mariah Carey, maybe. you'd be fa- That's not see, the kind see, of sandwich that, I'd like that, to be That's a in. dilemma, because if you're facing Mariah Carey in the sandwich, then, you know.
0: Not too bad. Oh, yeah. You know what maybe I mean? you it that way, that's not going to work. No. And yet, if you're facing Elton John's back and Mariah Carey's behind you. Well,
1: You'll get a pain in your back.
0: It doesn't work.
1: It doesn't work either way you have to kind of have them each of them side on holding hands around glad you you put a lot of thought into this one. i did i have to talk about facts
0: fact keyboardist david bryan was originally studying medicine fact most of the songs on the album were written by john bon jovi and richie sambora fact slippery and wet was the follow-up to 7800 degrees fahrenheit was deemed a failure so much so that they enlisted the help of Desmond Child, who Paul Stanley had introduced to John when Bon Jovi had been touring with Kiss. What? John and Richie and songwriter Desmond Child penned hits like You Give Love a Bad Name and "Livin' on a Prayer in the basement of Richie's mum's house in New Jersey. And we continue
1: with the band called Bon Jovi. I want to read you a review by Jimmy Gutterman from Rolling Stone magazine of Slippery When Wet. See what you think. And if you agree or disagree. Because remember, we were 13 at the time when we were very impressionable and this type of rock music was perfectly timed to enter into our hearts and souls and little teenage testicles. So, Jimmy Gutterman said, How many cliches can you squeeze into a pop song? Probably not as many as Bon Jovi can. Listen to Raise Your Hands from his new album, Slippery When Wet. I know that's two already, but titles don't count. Bon Jovi lets loose with nasty reputation, sticky situation, ain't nobody better, show me what you can do, under the gun, out of the run, set the night on fire, play to win. Pretty impressive. And that's only the first verse. Maybe I'm being unfair. Nobody listens to Bon Jovi's brand of pop metal for its lyrics. They listen because they want to bang their heads lightly. It's a canny marketing strategy, but Bon Jovi's band is barely functional. Guitar solos pop up like afterthoughts, bass lines whine like spoiled children and Jon Bon Jovi's voice is double and triple tracked in half hearted attempts to cloak its blandness. Bon Jovi stumbles into sentimental territory on Never Say Goodbye. But delicacy is not the band's strong suit. The callous clinker. Remember when we lost the keys and you lost more than that in my backseat, baby. Is Bon Jovi's idea of evocative storytelling. John Bon Jovi and his band serve up condescending sentiment, reducing every emotional statement to a bare cliche, either because they think that's all their audience can comprehend or because that's all they can comprehend on slippery when wet. Bon Jovi sounds like bad fourth generation metal, a smudgy Xerox of quiet riot. So that was Jim Guterman back in the day. And mm-hmm. here's an interesting thing. Jim Guterman was born in Bayonne, New Jersey. Five miles across the bay there from Sayreville uh... and John in the same year in 1962. Sadly, Jimmy's not with us anymore. He exited the world by his own hand back in 2016. John Bon Jovi, meanwhile, is still alive. Even the healthy lifestyle. So that was a bit of a snarky review, I think, by Jim. But then Jim lost his way later in life and got depressed after his divorce <laughs> and killed himself and left three children and a dog and an ex-wife.
0: There you are. But right. Don't they say that most uh, rock music journalists are frustrated rock music musicians?
1: Yeah, exactly. And he did want to emulate maybe his favorite rock stars by exiting the world himself by some type of <laughs> self abuse.
0: <laughs> I just think he was depressed as fucked, looking across the road at John's big fucking house, and he done fuck nothing except write bitter reviews in the Rolling Stones. So anyway, that was super
1: wet review by Jimmy Guterman, and I want to take you now on a journey back into time. Hooray. Close. we're going to go back in time now i'm going, going to take you by the hand adrian back in time to when we were 13 years of age and during that time i want to tell you about kerrang magazine Kerrang! magazine was britain's number one best-selling weekly rock magazine and from 1984 when bon jovi spat onto the scene they featured in seven issues in 1984 their first cover mention and interview was in august 1984 in issue number 65 for their debut album They supported KISS on their European tour, where Paul Stanley, as you said earlier in your fact, Adrian, introduced to songwriter Desi Child and Desi Child, as we'll talk a little bit about him later, proved to be, I don't know, maybe the catalyst, maybe the talisman. We don't know. Let's discuss this later. In 1985, in Kerrang, Bon Jovi featured across ten issues. Their first cover and interview for 7800 Fahrenheit was in April 1985, issue number 92. They played Donington that year, ZZ Top headlining. Bon Jovi was third on the bill. Above Metallica, they were bombarded by bottles of piss. It knocked Bon Jovi's
0: Captain Kid hat straight off his head with a nice big bottle of piss. But yeah, famously, that was a rite of passage for new bands back in the 80s. You have to go on stage first and get pelted with mud and piss bottles. Exactly. And, and take it and be happy about it. Take it, yeah? Can't handle it. Hard to take it. piss sure, is quite sterile.
1: Piss is quite sterile, exactly, yeah. Mustardia. So in 1986, in issue 127, in August, Slippery When Wet was reviewed by Malcolm Dome. Followed in the next issue with their second cover and interview spread, again interviewed by Malcolm Dome. As you said earlier, Bruce Fairbairn is no longer with us. Jimmy Guterman is no longer with us. And sadly, Malcolm Dome is no longer with us. And I'd like to honour his existence as a great rock writer and a great enthusiast of the metal movement in the United Kingdom of the last 40 years by reading you an excerpt of his review of Slippery When Wet in <laughs> Kerrang! magazine. Would you like to hear that, Adrian? Yes. Let me tell you about the songs. Sure, much of the material follows in the tradition of the last two opi oh Let It Rock is a street-snivelling, snort-rag anthem. As is Raise Your Hands, You Give Love a Bad Name, Living on a Prayer and I'll Die for You are classic, simple AOR single shots. But throughout, John's lyricism is of the highest order, offering a more articulate, Chandler-esque approach that is at once harder and shop-soiled and yet more optimistic than previously. He has developed into a first-class street-peddling narrator, called confidently of utilizing his grey matter. And this is no more obvious than on the album's outstanding cut, Wanted Dead or Alive, a haltingly slow-trotting ghost town elegy to the loneliness and excitement of the rock and roll Pampas. Compliments? Yeah, there's just one I want to pay. This song provides the finest insight into the double-edged, nomadic life of the modern minstrel I've ever come across since ACDC's Ride On. The dusky gypsy soul has rarely been more lovingly mapped out than here.
0: So that was Malcolm Dome from Kerrang that, magazine. That was quite a treat, Michael. I enjoyed watching your gesticulations as you um, channeled the spirit of Malcolm there. Yeah. Yeah, in
1: 1986, there was an ad on the second page of Kerrang in issue 127 when Slippery was uh, released saying, Slippery when wet is a triumph of artistry.
0: Is it? Oh, you're asking me. Sorry, I thought this was from. Oh, do you think of- I'm asking? It was certainly a triumph. you. I have to talk about
1: facts every single week, it's a fact.
0: Producer Bruce Fairbairn was chosen for Slippery Room Wet because the singer loved the sound quality of heavy metal band Black and Blue's 1985 album, Without Love, which Bruce had produced. Fact. The album could have been called Wanted Dead or Alive. Slippery Room Wet was chosen after a visit to a Vancouver strip club. Richie claims, His woman descended from the ceiling on a pole and proceeded to take all of her clothes off. When you got in the shower and soaked herself up, we just about lost our tongues, man. We just sat there and said, we will be here every day. That energised us through the whole project. Our testosterone was at a very high level back then.
1: <laughs> ah, Richie, you're the man. I said he wasn't a stranger in a strange land there. He was there every night.
0: Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> You Give Love a Bad Name became the band's first song to go to number one in the US and number 14 in the UK charts. You Give Love a Bad Name comes from a song originally written by Desmond Child for singer Bonnie Tyler called If you was a woman and I was a man, I'll bend you over the wall. <laughs> Fact. John did not want to include Living on a Prayer on the effort because he didn't think it was good enough. Luckily for us all, Richie persuaded him. Fact. Wanted Dead or Alive, was written when John was having difficulty sleeping while on his tour bus supporting the 7,800 degrees Fahrenheit album. During that time, he realised that rock star lifestyle is a lot like a Wild West Outlaws. Riding into towns and taking all the girls and booze and then leaving town before the sun comes up. FACT the cover art of this album is simply a black bin bag with water splashed on it. John Bon Jovi chose this as he didn't like the original cover the record company selected, with a big pink border around it and a scantily clad woman soaping herself up. Mmm.
1: That was the cover that was issued for the Japanese market. Yes, indeed. Do you own an import copy of that? I don't. I still have my <laughs> my bin liner cassette cover. There it is. Ah, ah, Do you have yours? Whip out your cassette cover, Adrian. (gasps) Look.
0: Look at that. Mm, Look at that. Anyway, let's get into this. Tlack by twack. Let's take it apart. Let's unzip the album. Let's rip open that wet bin bag on the cover. Let's rip open the fly of this album. And take out David Bryan's organ. (laughs) Because that's how the album begins. (laughs) That's true. With an organ intro reminiscent of John Lord of Deep Purple. But it quickly gives way to an anthemish rocker. And I think this one was made for crowds to chant along to.
1: I couldn't believe when I first heard this, because my older brother, he was living in London and he brought back three cassettes for me. Bon Jovi's debris went wet Van mm-hmm. Halen 5150, and Ozzy Osbourne's The Ultimate Sin. And when I put on Bon Jovi and I heard Let It Rock for the first time, because sadly I didn't hear it when Tommy played it on the Friday Rock Show, but so I just heard it on my little stereo. And the hairs on the back of my neck all stood erect, Adrian! I couldn't believe it. This wow! Guitars came in over the Hammond
0: organ and I was sold. I was a Bon Jovi fan! And tell me this, how come you didn't hear it on the Friday rock show? Was was it a bad day? Was the signal not coming across the REC? I'd say
1: yeah there was a bit of a storm that kind of washed the signal way down the coast.
0: Was it was there an airplane passing
1: over? <laughs> <laughs> might have been an airplane passing that would interfere. <laughs>
0: It was ways. your fa-
1: hey. It was your father in the Datsun Cherry with no muffler, horsing it down wherever he was going. Nobody knew.
0: <laughs> no, that lad. But anyway, <laughs> "Let It Rock" sets the tone nicely for what's to follow. As John says, it's all right if you have a good time. Now, what, John? We did for the next forty-five minutes.
1: Cause the weekend came to this town seven days too soon. <coughs> <coughs>
0: Well, they started with that one on the Slippery When Wet Tour. They might have done. Let's see. We've seen it see. with the New Jersey tour. Let's see. Start with Lay Your
1: Hands the Slippery When Wet Tour. What was it called? Lock Up Your Daughters or something stupid? <laughs> <laughs> Set list. Ah, let's go back now to 1987. Yeah, they'd intro with Raise Your Hands and All right. Let It Rock actually came after Living on a Prayer in
0: the middle. Strange. Strange choices. We'll come back to that when we, we talk about raise your hand.
1: Yes.
0: Okay, moving on to track two. You give love a bad name. Shut the heart and you're to blame Darling. You give love a bad name. An instantly recognizable rock classic. The a cappella opening screams in your face for its attention. It was the first single from Slippery and it was a number one hit in the US, and the first of the four tracks on the album where Desmond Child works his magic.
1: Oh, is this the one when Desi went around to Richie's mother's yeah. place and he was having he a cack up. downstairs in the toilet, and this no. piece of paper <laughs> fell out of the
0: trousers and written he on it showed up <laughs> at the basement where John and Richie were writing with the song title and a cigarette packet. Desmond proudly states that John was not a person to waste a good hook, so he recycled the shot through the heart line from a song title which appeared on their debut album. Now, John Bon Jovi had dated an actress called Diane Lane in the mid-1980s during a brief break from his childhood sweetheart, Dorothea. So there were rumors abound that this was the inspiration.
1: I wonder, though, how many brief breaks did John have from his beloved teenage crush, Dorothea? Hmm. Anyway, we'll
0: never know. Go on, continue. In the similar situation, I think we would have all been tempted. For many brief breaks. See, it's part of life. I
1: have left her back in the little hometown that I found <laughs> her in. Doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean, I, I, you know, I only put the full length in.
0: I think some young one turned up at Bruce Fairbairn's studio claiming that Tico Torres was the father of her child. A few months later. All rumours and conjecture, obviously. Track three was "Living on a Prayer. Crank up the karaoke machine. Like the song Happy Birthday, "Living on a Prayer is a song now so deeply ingrained in your consciousness, you can't imagine a time when it didn't exist.
1: Tommy's got a six From string in it- hock. You know, now he's holding yeah. it in when he used to make it talk so tough. It is tough. The gut. Yeah, Gina dreams of running away when she cries in the night. Tommy whispers, "Shut the fuck up."
0: Interesting take <laughs> on it. From its slow-building baseline, with its spoken intro, to its famous talk box solo, to its belt-out chorus, this is one of the all-time classics. Would you agree? I would. On this, John harnesses his inner Bruce Springsteen to tell the story of working-class hero Tommy and Gina. Holding on to the bad times. And this is something we can all relate to. Who are Tommy and Gina, Adrian? I'll I'll tell you now. Thanks. Tommy was the lad who lost his job on the docks. Right. And poor old Gina worked in a diner to put the bread on the table. Working for her man. Yeah.
1: Now She, She said she brought home her pay for love.
0: So let me think about this. So she's coming home and the only way she can get affection from Tommy by throwing down dollars on the table. Yeah. He sounds like a bit of
1: he does, yeah, and he, you know, he would tell her. He didn't say, "Baby, it's okay." Someday, when she was crying in the night, he said, "I have to get up at fucking four a.m. Would you shut the fuck up and stop snoring, you fat bitch."
0: Your your version of living on a prayer would be completely different. <laughs> I think so. Old Desi Child used the story of his seventies girlfriend Maria Vidal, who used to work. At well, a he was dating a seventy-year-old girlfriend on the stove. The owner of the diner used to call Maria Gina, as he thought she looked like an Italian actress of the fifties and sixties. Gina Brigida. Desi,
1: not only was he handing out lyrics on the back of fag packets and Rizlas, he was also dating a woman in her 70s. Where we are playing to him, Desi's the man. That's why he's all those stories to be writing lyrics about for other people.
0: And I, I suppose he would have been Tommy of the story. And I think he was a musician back in the day. Maybe he was the guy who had his sixth string and a hock.
1: He had originally written the lyrics to be Johnny and Gina, but Bon Jovi himself said, no, man, people think it's about me so desi's art in excellence was seen immediately when he says let's change it to tommy (laughs) inspired move
0: Hmm. always remind me of tommy busher (laughs) did
1: not tommy busher say that when his young son would grow up to be 18 that the proudest moment of his life would be bring him down to the pub for his first pint of beer
0: that sounds like something tommy would say
1: good i hope it's true tommy also another one in the death pool today on our podcast (laughs) (laughs)
0: R.I.P. Tommy. After the September 11th, 2001 attacks... The band performed an acoustic version of this song for New York. Then later Bon Jovi performed a similar version as part of the Special America a tribute to heroes. So you can see this is why the song lasts, because it has meaning through different theories. Yeah, so, a great a great
1: rousing message, rock and roll song with a great bass line, of course, that was stolen by everybody thereafter, including Belinda Carlisle. Heaven is a Place Belinda on Carlyle.
0: Earth. Well I don't think it was Belinda, but her producers definitely borrowed heavily for the bass line on Heaven is a Place on Earth. And the song structurally is very similar as well hmm written by John Richie and Desmond Child it was the second single off slippery and got to number one in the US and only number four in the UK what is wrong with people in the UK above it in the UK chart were erasure which sometimes Berlin take my breath away The final countdown by Joey Tempest led hair metal rivals, Europe. Ah, that's why they hated each other. That's why there was a big competition.
1: Oh, my God. Joey took the number one slot in the UK and John was languishing in fourth place. Ah, that's what it was all about when we used to go into our local shop and rob those big poster pull out magazines of Joey and the lads and also
0: the Bon Jovi boys. It was set up as the Battle of the Hairy Heart Throws. You were either in Camp Joey or Camp John. (laughs) Oh, Yeah.
1: Track it,
0: Adrian! Track it! Social Disease is track four. The cheese is strong on this one, and it's full of the horn and squealy guitars. It starts off with something resembling a porno soundbite played at double speed. And Michael, you had an interesting misheard lyrics episode with this song.
1: Uh. It starts off after the, the porn comes to its fruition. There's an announcement. Dr. Bon Jovi, report to emergency. Now, when I first heard this, now, remember, I did hear it on a very, very basic stereo recorder when I was 13. And because this album spoke that to me
0: so- are Sharp Stereo, I was it's by fidelity. What are you saying?
1: <sighs> yeah, I'm trying to get my shovel. Ah, oh, don't forget <laughs> your shovel when you're trying to dig yourself out of a stupid thing that you did when you were young.
0: Was it one of those unicef ones you
1: had probably at the time yeah it was probably a unicef like given to me by the um united nations children's charity foundation because i was languishing in poverty and i needed something to listen to so they gave me a unicef tape recorder yep that was the one and it said so the song opens with dr bon jovi report to emergency but i heard it as robert bon jovi 14th birthday."
0: <laughs> and you then took from this that this is when John lost his virginity. Because
1: it was a porn. Yeah, exactly. And I just thought the whole thing was that John Bon Jovi, when he became 14, he lost his virginity to a hooker that the lads bought for him. And that was why this porno sound and, was and at And he the went the beginning. off
0: and he announced it over a tannoy system. Yeah, he got a social disease out of it. He got riddled <laughs> in it, Which riddled. makes perfect sense. Once you lose your virginity, you just want to go on the nearest tannoy system and Announced it the world.
1: The fact that it would say Robert Bon Jovi and not John Bon Jovi or Jack Bon Jovi or Jim or Jonathan Bon Jovi.
0: I don't know. Well, we didn't have the internet back then. May- maybe his name was Robert John bon Jovi. bon Jovi. Yeah. But it
1: wasn't. So, yeah. Misheard lyrics. We've had a few <laughs> down the years.
0: And the lyrics
1: continue to say you can read it in the papers. In some places it comes in 32 flavors, but you wouldn't tell no one your favorite if you could.
0: And this is a song that Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith was mad after.
1: Yeah, he wanted this one. Aerosmith were about to have their permanent vacation at that stage and that they needed really good horn backed songs. And you know, what Steven Tyler said in those days, he said the difference between us and those young and -and up-and-coming bands like Bon Jovi is that those guys are into jerking off. We're into fucking. Bit harsh. Steven, them lads weren't into fucking. They were into mainline cocaine, sticking needles in their arms.
0: No, they weren't. (laughs) <laughs> uh, angelic. Yeah, I can imagine Stephen Tyler in that one. I think that that would have been a perfect song for Aerosmith, but fair play to Bon Jovi for hanging on to it. It's a loud and proud song, full of energy, fits in well with the party vibe of the whole album and is sandwiched between two of the greatest tracks of Bon Jovi's career. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Social Disease is probably not one of them.
1: It kind of got lost in the melee of the success of the two songs that went before and came after it. But, you know, as a song for, on a classic album as it is, selling, what, 28 million copies,
0: it's still pretty good. I think if Slippery When Wet was released today, the sequencing would be different. I think Social Disease would have been after Wanted Dead or Alive. I think back in those times we were thinking about vinyl, and you had to have the slower, quieter songs near the end of the sides of vinyl, which was why Wanted Dead or Alive was probably stuck in there. Hmm. But I'm just speculating. Hmm. Wanted Dead or Alive, this is arguably Bon Jovi's finest moment and third single from the album. The song was written by Jon Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora.
1: The lyrics start with, it's all the same, only the names will change, possibly referring to the fact that they might have slightly been influenced by Bob Seger's Turn the Page song. Um, compare has contrast. Said
0: this song is influenced by Bob Seger's Turn the Page.
1: Hmm, that's a good way to put it.
0: Richie Sambora is the main man here, providing the excellent 12-string guitar on this track. He can play acoustic and then electric guitar for the solo and last verse on one guitar.
1: Ooh, And I tell you when it starts, when this moody acoustic mood very space starts, oh, very atmospheric. You didn't know what you were going to expect. Could have been the banshee out the window roaring at you in the next minute. <laughs> you were like the hairs are coming up on the back of your neck and you were nervous and, and worried and and biting down the fingernails and a big brown spit coming out in front of you.
0: The song was composed on a sleepless night on a tour bus as John imagines his life as a modern day cowboy, wanted by the fans, riding into town by bus or plane, robbing the money, women and beer. Now, since listening to this again and having to think about it, I started to imagine John sitting astride in an airplane, waving his hat around like a rodeo cowboy. I like Doctor Strange. Wanted in her life reached number seven in the US. So would you say this is Bon Jovi's best song?
1: When Bon Jovi, when they lower him down to the ground, this will be playing. You only get one or two songs in your life as a musician that just resonate with everybody and then define you. This definitely is a stone cold classic.
0: It's probably Bon Jovi's best song. Better than Living on a Prayer. Absolutely. It dates less. It doesn't have any outside influence. Desmond Child doesn't have a hand in this. This is all Bon Jovi.
1: Yeah. Still, I'm standing tall and I've seen a million faces and I've rocked them all.
0: Just conjures images of playing live on stage and looking out across the waves and waves of people. I was I was headbanging like a mental thing when I was 13 in the bedroom
1: before I went down for my cheese sandwich and orange cordial. And then to go down and put on the television to watch Inspector
0: Gadget. A snapshot of the time there. Followed by Danger Mouse. Yeah, and I w- I'd also say it's, it's kind of one of the more mature tracks. This starts off John and Richie's imperial phase over the next 15 years. coming out with some great rock tunes.
1: Not only for themselves, for their Bon Jovi albums, but also for others. They became very prolific writers.
0: If you refresh my memory now. Who, who did they write for? Did they write for Vixen?
1: Messrs Bon Jovi and Sambora wrote for Cher. Ah, and
0: didn't Richie date Cher?
1: He did, yeah. Title. He had to peel away the layers of plastic. Like It was like opening up an <laughs> Action Man doll. He's some man. He goes up mountains that have never been
0: claimed before. He didn't for the ladies are and Heather Locklear. That, that was oh, Heather Locklear. Classes. She's like... She's imagine, like he going was in through the basement the, yeah. of his mom's house with posters of Farrah Fawcett on, on the wall, and in the modern equivalent was his missus, Heather Locklear. It's like you can
1: imagine going Living through, dream. going through the woods in East Wicklow, up near Lara, down, just looking over the valley in the middle of the night. The moon's just coming down through the cracks in the trees, and you're stoned off your head, and you're looking straight at those eyes. That's what it would look like, like a wild animal looking at you in the in the woods in the moonlight. That's what it would be like to meet Heather Lock- <laughs> <laughs> And love in your veins.
0: Two pools of blue water.
2: Into your silky
0: <laughs> I don't think we'll include that. <laughs> <laughs> track by track. Track six. Raise your hands.
2: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: this is one of the album highlights for me. Another one, this is ready-made for the stadiums. I'm begging for audience participation. Jimmy Guterman, now
1: he didn't like this. His Rolling Stone review was sort of snarking its snot at it.
0: But Refresh I have to say, me, what did he say about Raise Your Hands? Oh, now I have to fucking find the review.
1: Again. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How many cliches can you fit into a pop song? That's what Jimmy was talking about in this Rolling Stone review for Bon Jovi's Raise Your Hands. And I have to say, yeah, he might well be right. If you're analysing it, sitting there with your fat paunch and your bald head and your glasses looking at the screen and you're just a hackneyed hack. I'm going to bring up the Raise Your Hands
0: lyrics now and see what cliches mean.
1: I have to say, when I listened to it, I really enjoyed this track. This track came in and kicked you in the ghoulies.
0: Yeah, I don't know about cliches, but they were definitely using a, a rhyming book you've got a nasty <laughs> reputation we're in a sticky situation you're under the gun out on the run you want to set the night on it's fire yeah I
1: think John had probably down in Richie's mother's basement he had the Sesame Street book of rhymes
0: And well, why not yeah, I ain't here looking for surrender I'll raise the flag if you'll defend her it, it makes no t- sense let it go when it you wanted no a, dead, a feeling show yeah if you wanted to be negative you could say it was kind of derivative of a lot of rock songs
1: yeah and I mean did. this is what the imagined dragons get criticised for in the modern era but people love them and their audiences are full
0: of women and that's what bon jovi did back in the 1980s but this is it they're not going to write ulysses you're going to write a three minute pop song with a nice chorus that everybody can stand at a concert and jump around and go raise your hands
1: ulysses when you said that i can just think of a japanese manga cartoon (laughs) of a guy descending from the stars down on earth
0: And as we discussed earlier, Raise Your Hands was used as an opener on the Slippery Wet tour.
1: Six tracks in and there's no let up. But then suddenly.
0: Yeah. So then we get to track seven. And for the first time, the quality takes a little bit of a zip.
1: You, couldn't keep, uh, you couldn't keep it up. You couldn't keep
0: without love. I described this one as sappy. <laughs> and at one stage, weird women come in, and frighteningly, we singing "Whoa, whoa, whoa" in my left ear in the song verses, really loud. And it's really got behind the mix.
1: It's got quite an interesting pronunciation of a lyric in the first couplet. He starts singing, "She wasn't young, but she's still a child." There was no innocence. He's sort of challenging. He was challenging himself to sing. It sounded a it bit
0: was weird. Quite poetic. I mean, you could do a class on that. The clash between innocence being
1: a child well as saxon said around the same time (laughs) innocence is no excuse and there was a girl on the cover biting an apple i don't know what age she was biff would tell you i have
0: to ask biff he was eve the garden of eden biff's back garden
1: so without love was written by desi child one of 27 songs that the boys bon jovi and sambora wrote with desi this one has diminishing returns over the years and it didn't have much to do in the first place when you first heard it so when I heard this one,
0: underwhelmed. Track eight, so let's move swiftly on to track eight. I die for you, and this is the fourth and the final Desmond Child collaboration. John sells this one as he earnestly commits to the ultimate sacrifice for his beloved. Yes, he will die for her. Now this probably would have been a single on any other album, and I'll hold up the likes of Cinderella as usual <laughs> as the example here. But, unfortunately, it was up against a trifecta of classics. Next up is Track 9, and this one might be a little bit more familiar. It's Never Say Goodbye. Fact. This was released as the fourth single in the UK and reached the heady heights of number 21, but actually got all the way to number four in Ireland. So, the Jovi had built a substantial following in Ireland at that time. Once again, this one is aimed squarely at the teens and recent nostalgia. This one pulls in the heartstrings of those leaving high school, dancing Mm -hmm. at your debts or graduation, and awkward fumbles in the back seats.
1: And I remember this. I have very fond memories of this song. It is a cheesy one at those local teenage discos that we attended, as you remember. Yeah, this Uh, is one
0: for the youth club discos.
1: Yeah. I was dancing with the girl who I really liked, and I wanted to try to kiss her, and I finally succeeded on Never
0: Say Goodbye. And... She called me Martin. <laughs> oh well. <laughs> but uh, just to put this in some sort of context, people younger than me have told me that they no longer have slow sets at discos. Back in the day, you play all the current chart songs, but there would be, as Michael just mentioned, a sequence of four slow songs.
1: Three. Was there always three? Was it? Was it, was it three? Was it? Was, was nah, no, 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 no. was always three, three, three. Four was too long. Four is twenty was minutes. That's the rule. Fifteen minutes uh, max.
0: So a sequence of slow songs. And this was the call to arms for all of the boys there to go up and ask the girls of their affections to have a slow, intimate dance.
2: And
1: And you can imagine inside these types of discos that were usually held in sports complex halls and the size of a basketball pitch. That was where it was. And the DJ was positioned where the coaches would normally sit. And you'd have on one end the entire cohort of boys with their hands in their pockets Wallflowers. And on the other end were all the girls and you had to make the walk of death. Try to walk up to that row of ladies all looking at you laughing, giggling, staring.
0: Dramatic. Will you dance with me? When you're a teenager this is very intense. The lights are down low. Your favourite song in your ear. Your arms around a girl. And you put your lips on hers and it's the first time and it's oh my god it's the fusion of hormones and emotions. And the worst thing
1: is what, if you were declined, if they said no thanks, you had to turn around to jeers and shouts and roars of
0: laughter from all of your supportive friends. I wouldn't walk back, I'd just ask the one next to her and keep asking until somebody said yeah. (laughs) gotta do what you gotta do. But anyway, never say goodbye. This is a sincere promise to all of our school friends, we will never lose touch with them in the future.
1: Lies! Never saw them again, ever! well-meaning hugs and kisses and we'll always be friends forever and oh stay in touch yeah we will yeah uh, none of it none of it noise the only time we ever saw anybody that we went to school with at that time was in the newspaper if they committed a crime or died
0: leave me alone
1: don't care stay in this is nostalgia albums that we love albums that were very important to us
0: when we were growing up. And now we come to the final track on the classic album, *Slipper and Wet, Wild in the Streets. And this ends the album on a real high. It's another track aiming for the misty-eyed nostalgia, but ironically, I can still relate to this song today, but it's just to the bit where the old men recite their storylines about when I was young like you, (laughs) and there's a great 50s style rock and roll solo from Richie on this.
1: Oh, yeah, when we were cruising in the back seat. Oh, yeah, making love in the back seats. They had those massive cars in the 1950s where at least you could stretch out and get their legs open. Some of the cars that we might have had in the 1980s, like a Datsun Cherry, you'd break your back trying to get in the back seat.
0: You love the old Datsun Cherry. I would agree, though, it wouldn't be like a big old Chevrolet.
1: So these are the ones that John is talking about, possibly that the things that they could probably rent or buy when they were young in New Jersey at that time, cheaply.
0: This is another romanticized version of people's youths. Oh yeah, we were making love in the back seat and running wild in the streets. We weren't really, we were down in your cellar making tapes and shouting into microphones. Or sitting up trees
1: and peeling off the bark and throwing them down at car windows and then running away into the fields when the car would screech to a halt and the driver would get out and try to run after us <laughs> for destroying his windscreen.
0: But obviously, when you think back to it, you you like to romanticize it and believe it was full of girls and and adventures and, and things like that. And this is this is the spirit of the track and a great way to end the classic.
1: A perfect slice of pop rock cheesecake.
0: Fact. The tracks that weren't included but were recorded during the Slippery and Wet Sessions included Edge of a Broken Heart. This later turned up on the soundtrack to the 1987 film Disorderlies. I think it would have been a good addition to the album. I listened to it recently and I think it's a good song. And maybe with the benefit of repeated plays over the years and nostalgia... Could have made a good home on Slippery When Wet. Would you agree?
1: <laughs> I'm just listening to how you pronounce slippery when wet. Yeah, slippery wet. It's like Paul Bosch, you know, I was talking about Manchester United. Manchester United. It's really what's really important about Manchester United is slippery wet. Slippery wet.
0: You're making me self-conscious now. <laughs> that was our trailer. That was our Born in the USA. That was our defining record. The one that they write about when we're dead. Bon Jovi described Slippery When Wet to the Arizona Republic in 2013. Just the right age. Perfect moment going through puberty, and I suppose every generation has the same thing. Fact. Slippery and wet success opened the way for the likes of Whitesnake, Motley Crue and Poison to record major selling albums of their own. Fact. In the UK, Bon Jovi hold the record for the band with the most top 10 singles, but never reached number one. They have 18 UK top 10 hits. Their single always reached the highest when it reached number two in 1994. It's My Life reached number three in 2000. Fact. John's first professional recording was as lead vocals on R2-D2, We Wish You a Merry Christmas, Classic. the Christmas in the Stars album. Oh, remember And do you well. know what? I listened to that.
1: Yeah, I didn't too. even
0: realise it was John. It doesn't no. sound like him at all.
1: Actually, now that John is moving on a bit in his years, it does sound like him as he plays live on stage these days.
0: You're referring to the recent criticism of John playing live and his vocal performances not being so where do you stand on this has his voice been damaged is it just age
1: he wasn't the best singer when he was in his pomp either he was ably supported and abetted by richie sambora and he was double or triple tracked on any of the albums that he sang on so when it comes to it live everybody uses backing tracks so it's hard to know whether you're being ripped off for the god knows how many a hundred dollars plus that you have to pay to get into a bon jovi concert these days but that's a different story we're not going to go down that tributary Let's I get back be, up into the I, I main river, the slippery slidey bin bag <laughs> cover of the 1986 epic album by Mr. Bon Jovi.
0: Definitely on, on Slippery and Wet, uh, the vocals were layered. And, and when he's singing live, he's got that bed of, of Richie. The last time I seen him live, I, I just stood back, closed my eyes. I was just He kind of just sings through his teeth. Oh, we're halfway there. Yeah. But on tracks like Living on a Prayer, back in the day, like he, he was, what, 23, 24 when we recorded that? Mm-hmm. And he, he's just, he's screaming a lot of the song. As a 60-year-old, I would say it's very difficult to replicate that. Oh, yeah.
1: The, I mean, there's no expectation for him to do that. But, of course, John is a hostage to his own success because he has to play these songs every night when he goes on tour. That's what people expect. That's what he's famous for. And when you're pushing 60 no way your vocal cords or your low hanging testicles can really muster that amount of power (laughs) into the the diaphragm anymore so he can let it flop and not let it rock as much
0: i did notice that they did a huge tour supporting new jersey Mm. they reckon during that that he he damaged his voice
1: yeah probably they did about 300 and something days in that tour Yeah. yeah it could be a historical injury but one of the in best life. one one of the best, so I have to say one of the best live performances of Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer, John at full belt, was for the tube TV show on Channel Four from the British Isles. And he rips into it, storming across the up. stage in his pomp. <laughs> So he was screaming it out there quite well. I want to play you this. Tommy Vance, the Friday Rock Show, BBC Radio 1, broadcasting every Friday night at 10pm since 1978. This was the first play in the United Kingdom and Ireland if they had their antennas tuned on
0: a Friday night across the water. Ah, yes. The nostalgia, The FM waves making their way across the Irish Sea and crackling into our little stereos. So this is what We heard that first we
1: became aware of Bon Jovi's existence. Black
2: Friday Rock Show, Mosh That's an excellent new band from the United States of America. We're playing it there as a track from a sampler. The album is coming out at the end of this month, I do believe. They're called Bon Jovi. The track I heard was entitled Runaway. It's exactly 11 o'clock before Bon Jovi heard Five Birds escape, and enough. That is a nice, rousing single. It's the new single by Bon Jovi. It's on the Vertigo record label. It is called In and Out of Love. Before that, you heard Anaconda, their final track from our session by them. The track was called The Loser. The Loser! There you are. The first time I ever masturbated was to
1: Gary Moore's The Loser. Oh, I always thought it was The Loner. Oh, sorry, it is The Loner. Yeah,
0: it's The <laughs> Loner. You masturbated to The Loser. Excuse me now, although I have been known to pull the odd stroke. Copyright Leonard the Rooster, <laughs> 1992.
1: Before Slippery When Wet, Bon Jovi singles were played six times between nineteen ninety-four and nineteen ninety-six on the Friday Rock Show. Runaway twice, In and Out of Love, twice, Roulette and Silent
2: Night we kept on asking and asking and asking and we kept on getting no reply from america spent a fortune on phone calls and whatever and eventually we got the nod from the states yesterday or was it the day before it was the day before by which time we just could not get it together physically so really it's not our fault i have to tell you that there will be no recordings from Donington this year but the music will still be excellent live tomorrow on stage tomorrow bon jovi this is roulette A track from the album which is called 7800. 7800. Fahrenheit. Actually, we played you there the CD version. John Bon Jovi and his mob out of New York City. Silent Night was the track.
1: And they also played a live gig recorded in Ipswich, United Kingdom. Broadcast in January 1985. And then came their first single from the Slippery When Wet album, released in July 1986.
2: Hot off the presses and as fast as possible to you. That's something brand new by Bon Jovi, coming out shortly. You give love a bad name, something brand new and exclusive to us, and now to you. You're on the Friday Rock Show. Good stuff. Bon Jovi, you give love a bad name. It's 16 and a half minutes now to midnight. (gasps) Mm. Richard
0: was a bit off on that one. It was a bit scuttery. From
1: 1986 to 1988, Bon Jovi were played 22 times on the Friday Rock Show. Living on a Prayer got played on the 3rd of October 1986 and then got played another five times on the show up until 1990. But there was another single on the album. In fact, the first single of the album was Let It Rock. Excellent, that's the new A side,
2: Bon Jovi. Oh, wow. Out on the Vertigo record label, it is called Let It Rock. Before that, something recorded back in 1984 from a compilation album that was called Dutch Steel. It was on the Roadrunner record label, well worth the money. Seducer, with a band you heard, the Dutch Seducer, not the UK band called Seducer. The track was called I Love 69. It's a good number. <laughs> indeed, I Tommy. Or Dutch Gold,
0: though.
1: Dutch, Dutch Oven, maybe. Here was the song that changed it all for Bon Jovi, played in October on the Friday Rock Show by Tomty.
2: Absolute single by Bon Jovi, a remixed version of Living on a Prayer from their album. It's not on the Photogram record label. And it's all right. Living on a Prayer, Bon Jovi. Just all right. Just all right. It was
0: just all right. It was just all right. He didn't know. He didn't know what he was playing back then. A whistle-stop tour
1: through the annals of rock history in the 1980s. The annals of uh, rock uh, Through the British Isles. <laughs>
0: Slippery and Wet is an album with teenagers firmly in its crosshairs. And we were teenagers when it came out. So you know what? We were trendy once too. Imagine, Michael, one time you were into the latest hot thing like the rest of the cool kids. (laughs) That's far gone now. (laughs) Its beauty is in the fact it's a pop album with a heartthrob singer that girls will like. But it's also full of screeching guitars and rabble-rousing choruses that make the boys want to be part of John's gang too. When we went to a Bon Jovi concert, it was fifty percent male and fifty percent female. It was ideal for getting the shift. If you were a tall person like me, i would <laughs> ask you to sit on her shoulders to get a better view.
1: Adrian, Adrian, you're nothing. You're for... nothing but a chancing podcaster. <laughs>
0: What better way for a teenage boy to get soft female thighs wrapped around their necks? And the conversations you can strike up. Yeah, I like Bon Jovi. Do you like Bon Jovi too? you got the same jeans as me. And the same velvet boots. <laughs> and the
1: same fake tiger tooth earring.
0: I have to talk about facts. Fact: The album was mixed by Bob Rock. And notable production credits for Bob Rock include Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood, Metallica, The Black Album, I mentioned those because those are albums that I like that were produced
1: by. (laughs) Metallica liked the sound of Dr. Feelgood so much, that's why
0: they got Bob Rock in to produce their quadrillion selling album, The Black Album. Yeah, fantastic big sound on Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood. I'm sure we'll discuss that on another occasion. Slippery When Wet. I'm going to throw a hot take out there before we go. New Jersey is a better album than Slippery When Wet. I vehemently
1: disagree. I don't think so. I listened to both albums back to back, and I think the first album is better than New Jersey.
0: Slippery, When Wet, had the better singles.
1: That's it, yeah. Great chart.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got to number one. Must be good. That's it from this episode of Nostalgia, where we were looking back at... The classic album Slippery When Wet. Join us again for another classic album soon.
1: Thank you for moshdalging with us today.